0: Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're really delighted to have uh, this many people um, signed up this morning. Um, We are going to this morning try and have a very informal discussion. Obviously, we've got an excellent panel to hear from, um, but to the extent that you have questions, um, comments, um, objections, um, we've had a few in advance, so thank you so much for sending those through, and, we, and we're picking those up in the discussion as we go. But if things pop up as we as we're discussing, please do use the Q and A function or the chat function to send those through to us, and we'll and we'll pick those up as the discussion progresses. Um, This morning we're talking about measuring partner contribution and I'm delighted that we've got an excellent panel uh, to help us uh, discuss this really important topic. Um, On my screen, on my right? Uh, we've got Claire Watkins, a partner at Buzzacott, a real professional practices expert. Um, David Shufflebotham from Pep Up Consulting, a remuneration and reward um, guru. Uh, we've got Rob Millard from Cambridge Strategy, who's here to talk us all through the strategic side of things. Zulu Begum, from Zulon Begum, apologies Zulon, <laughs> from CM Murray, a partner in their professional practices team. And finally, uh, Sarah Chilton, From CM Murray as well, who's also an expert in partnership matters and and employment matters and a real expert on discrimination, as we'll hear very soon. So, um, let's have a little think about partner contribution. The the context for today's discussion is very much to focus on the contribution side of a professional partnership partner. Um, Everybody needs to contribute, that's an absolute given. Um, It's too much to try and Discuss in this session as well um, how you reward contribution and whether you punish bad contribution. Evidently, we will have to touch on those aspects as we go through this discussion. You can't have one without the other, but we are today trying to focus on the particular aspect of how you measure contribution and how you measure good contribution through this session and focus on that aspect of it. Um, Which I'm delighted to say already deals with one of the questions that was submitted in advance about how contribution and reward should be linked so um, we will touch on that and um, 9.35 question one down well done me brilliant uh let's um kick off then um i'd like just to get everybody involved right from the very start and just have a really kind of quick um little bit of input from from each of our panelists and i'd like to hear from each of you please on why we should measure partner contribution accurately david perhaps you could kick us off
1: Uh, thanks corin yes so it, at this most obvious level, I think um, the reason why you uh, should be measuring partner contribution is where any element of reward in your business or progression through different levels of profit sharing ladders, etc., cetera, um, is dependent on performance. So if you say um, your bonus pool allocation is performance related, then you should be measuring partner contribution that gives the entitlement to that um, uh, to that reward level and that's as simple as it can get so if you've got a performance related element you should be um, measuring partner contribution of course that varies from a t- can vary from a tiny amount five percent two percent bonus pool or right up to a hundred percent so where it's linked you have got to measure it
0: thanks rob what, why are we measuring partner contribution
2: so up to the 40,000-foot the, the level, as it were, and, and, and the strategic implications, uh, professional service firms are very different to other kinds of businesses. The link between prefer- manager or partner, in this case, behavior, uh, and the success and failure in, in executing this firm's strategy, achieving its objectives, is especially strong. So if we're going to measure progress towards achieving the the firm's objectives, it's very difficult to do that without linking it very directly to what every partner is doing to pull his or her weight towards achieving those objectives too. Uh, It also makes it really important for the partnership to have a range of capabilities. Uh, So um, measures need to, at least the scores in the measures, need to be bespoke to each partner. Uh, I, I'd like to think about it as having a, a group of Olympic athletes, all are really excellent world-class athletes, but with different strengths. Uh, but then measuring them all in terms of their ability to sprint makes no, makes no sense at all. Uh, you need to have the, the range of finders, minders, and grinders, and you, you need to be able to work out how to measure each of those uh, so there's always a disconnect between the best practice and strategy and what can be practically achieved. But I think in this time of great change, especially, we really need to get better at it.
0: Thank you. I, I think after 105 days in lockdown, I'm getting further and further from Olympic athlete. But I'm touched that you might <laughs> see us in that place. Uh, Claire, why are we measuring partner contribution accurately?
3: Well, I, I think firms, law firms are undergoing quite a lot of change at the moment. and, and Part of that change has been going on for some while, particularly looking at how uh, firms have measured partner contribution in the past and, and harking back to uh, lockstep, which is still so prevalent in so many law firms, even if it's, uh, you know, nowadays moving towards a more modified lockstep. But there are there are implications with lockstep and there are certain things that lockstep just cannot tolerate. And really what it can't tolerate is, is the extremes. It, it can't really tolerate... Uh, it is geared up for people to move at the same speed, but it doesn't deal with underperformers, and it doesn't deal with exceptional stars, or at, not, at least not very easily. So it can be particularly disadvantageous to young, you know, high-flying partners. Um, and also just the, the theme of all these webinars that we've done since lockdown has been how things might change, or, you know, a behind-the-scenes theme is how things might change post-Covid. And so with that in mind, I think there are a lot of firms who are thinking about moving um, bringing in lateral hires and if you've got a very prevalent lockstep function then I think knowing where a lateral hire fits into the lockstep step is very different and so moving to something that has more fairness and more accuracy and is more performance-based
0: seems uh, you know sensible. Thanks Claire Um, we've we've heard it Sarah you your ears will have pricked up your discrimination bills would have been going off there Claire said young Uh, (laughs) why are you uh, measuring partner contribution accurately
4: so I think just to focus on the sort of risks and why you should do it is really to avoid getting into difficulty in other aspects so one of the main things that I see in partner discrimination claims are partners who are being exited or moved down the lockstep or being in some way otherwise penalized from an innovation perspective. Um, and one of their first responses will be, this is complete news to me. Um, I don't believe that this is the real reason. I actually think I'm a brilliant performer. And, and there are two m- main problems with that. One is that from a, a management perspective, it's just not very good to have not warned somebody about their poor performance. It comes out of the blue and it can destroy this sort of trust in that relationship and can sometimes lead to people wanting to leave the firm because they feel that the, the firm is not... Um, sort of behind them but potentially a more serious legal risk for firms in that context is that if there is no good robust paper trail demonstrating that this person was told about their potential uh, you know lack of contribution or underperforming or etc and then suddenly it's like well you didn't contribute enough last year your figures should have been x they were only y uh, we're going to exit you if that person has never known that there was a concern about their contribution they might uh sort of think, start looking for other reasons as to why they might be treated like that. And that might be discrimination or whistleblowing. Um, And we see particularly this in situations where uh, we have potential age discrimination and indirect and direct sex discrimination and disability discrimination. And So those are the sort of key issues that can really often quite easily be solved by just managing and measuring things on an ongoing basis and being more transparent than some firms might want to be about that.
0: Great, thanks, Sarah. Finally, Zulon, um, we'd love to hear from you on, on why you think measuring partner contribution is, is so important.
5: Hi, thanks, Corinne. Um, I would really kind of um, highlight and um, emphasise the issue around maintaining uh, a culture of trust and confidence within the partnership. I think that's absolutely key. Um, and part of that is having a transparent um, KPIs and uh, a transparent performance appraisal process embedded in your constitution. Otherwise, as Sarah says, you risk, uh, you risk embroiling the firm in disputes, um, you also risk losing some of your high-performing partners if they feel like um, that the firm isn't being transparent or accurate or fair in, in the way it assesses contributions and they'll seek greener pastures uh, and that's not good. Um, so, as I said, it's the key to inspiring that trust and confidence is really ha- having the right KPIs in the first place. And um, other speakers will talk about that, but also embedding it in your constitution so that you have a clear roadmap for both the individual partners and the decision makers as to how the whole appraisal process will work.
0: Thank you uh, all for those really interesting um, in- insights. Let's sort of move on to look at some of these points in, in a bit more detail. Um, I think I'd really like to start by thinking about what we actually mean by partner contribution. How should we be measuring partner contribution? David, do you want to kick us off?
1: Yes, thanks, Corinne. So when I'm sitting down with a room full of partners, as I often do, to guide them through designing and giving input to a, um, a new system or a revised system of partner evaluation and, and um reward allocation. Um, I often ask them, you know, well what uh, are the things that you are measured on around here? Or what are the expected areas of contribution? Um, So we're really addressing that question of what do do we mean when I'm asking these partners by partner contribution? They will usually give me a list that um, looks a bit like this. They'll say, well the usual areas we focus on around here in our HR processes and our reviews you know it's going to be all about direct client service there's revenue generation and client relationship management and new bd and those are the sort of um, the key client facing elements but we're also um, told to contribute in areas of people and talent risk and ethics film culture and leadership technical excellence and knowledge um, and um, that's like motherhood and apple pie uh, when i discussed that with the partners they're all very freely contributing at that point um, and they'll also say, well, you know, um, we need a solid evidence base for that as well. And that's sometimes a little bit more difficult to get in, in, in some areas. And I'll come on to that in a minute. And then when I prompt them and say, well, but what really matters? What really matters in terms of those big decisions around progression, um, exit, remuneration, profit sharing, going through gateways? What is it that really matters? And um you very quickly get back the answer that it's really the financial inputs, uh, the financial outputs that really matter. Um, and I think that as um, the legal industry has evolved, uh, what's become clear is that um, because because the um, uh, because the finance function within businesses was the first to the party, and it's a really sophisticated. Um, Uh, piece of the picture now and part of the machinery of firms, and rightly so, Um, it's really dominated those sort of measurements of what partner contribution is. But I think there's an increasing realisation now that you need more multidimensional evaluation and assessment of partner contribution if you're really going to succeed as a firm over a sustainable period Uh, and focusing or over-focusing on the financials uh, generally, only really allows you to focus on current year um, contributions and, and financial ones at that. So I think what firms are, are realising is that um, they need to start looking at the the measurement of the areas that are that that I think one of our our, our audience today had said you know we struggle in measuring non-financial contributions. Um, And and that is a common issue that I come up against. So in a a tiny bit more detail there, um, when you look at the financial contributions uh, and financial KPIs, you're often really looking at what's happening in direct client service. So what are you supplying to the client? How many hours have you done? What's the chargeable rate, et cetera? What's the recovery? you're also looking at the financials around client partner billings as a proxy for how well clients are managed, etc. Um, and really, in these areas, the practice management system and the information that's held within it is critical and it provides you with good information. For direct client service, it's really very uh, comprehensive and gives you a credible picture, I think, of what a partner is doing. There's not much of a gap between that and, and the reality, which is fine. Um, you do, I'd always say, you have to sort of um, triangulate the, the between the, the data pieces uh, and never look for a single, um, a, a single metric that's going to give you the answer. But in direct line service, I think it's fairly straightforward. For revenue generation, CRM and BD, however, those pieces of data start to f- form more of a fractured picture. It doesn't tell you the whole story and you've got to be wary about them. So, we all know that some client partners are down in your practice management system as holding the client relationship, but in fact, it's now shared among five or six other partners and it doesn't give you the true picture. So, whilst the financial KPIs are really important, you've also got to take them with a pinch of salt depending on what they influence. But the bit, the really big bit that you're missing out on here, um, is fo- the focus on. Um, investment in future productive capacity. Because when that question comes through and says, well, we have trouble measuring non financial contributions, all these contributions that I'm going to talk about do have financial impact. It's just not in the current year. So if you're looking at people and talent, risk and ethics, firm culture and leadership, technical excellence and knowledge, they are going to have an impact, huge impact on your future of your business. And I think they need a bit of a rebrand. These areas, you know, they're sometimes called the, you know, the soft areas, the other areas, you know, or the, we, we we evaluate other areas too. So like, well, okay, uh, and non-financial is is a is often referred to. I prefer to um, refer to them as your capital investment in the business because you are investing in the same way as a as a business manufacturing widgets would invest in plant and machinery for future productive capacity and developing that. That is exactly what you're doing when you're looking at contributions in these areas. So um, if you need to look at these in more detail, how are you going to do it? And people say, well, we have trouble because we don't have the data. Well, I say to them, you do have the data, you just haven't looked for it yet. And also the good news is that when you do look for it, it's readily available. But what you've got to bear in mind, it doesn't have that magic mesmerizing symbol in front of it, which is the pound sign or the dollar sign, whatever your denomination is. You know, that somehow turns a figure that is a proxy into something that is absolutely the truth. Now, you know, I'm sure Claire uh, would would agree that, uh, that, you know, there are figures and there are figures, but you've really got to be happy when you're dealing with these areas uh, of people and talent, risk and ethics, etc., that you can mine data. Um, and I'll, I'll just finish off here by giving you an example, because it's all very well and good me me saying this, and then you know not uh, giving you an example. But if you look at, um, let's say, risk and ethics, and you think, oh my goodness, how are we going to measure this? Well, all firms, you know, will have will have a Culp. Uh, so the cop will have at their fingertips, lots of different data points, you know, how many up-to-date client engagement uh, letters and terms do you have in place for each partner, how comprehensive these partners know your client data, Uh, how up-to-date it is, how much work is done in advance of a file before it's officially opened, how often are fees renegotiated or challenged or written off. You've also got, funnily enough, somebody who can give you expert input, and that's the cop. Um, so in a court of law, in a litigation setting, you're always using as lawyers expert witnesses. It's amazing how little value is placed on that by, um, by law firm management teams. Part of that's about establishing the credibility of that expert, um, but, but that expertise uh, exists. So there's a whole, you know, and that's just pretty much off the top of my head but your firm will have a lot of different data. So what what you want to be able to do is look at both the financial outputs uh, in the current year on very immediate, and you want to be able to evaluate those investments in the capital and the future productive capacity of the firm. Describe them, evidence them, and then create some value around them, i.e. you are going to have to, to meet your, your strategic aims, direct where the relative values between all those elements sit for your firm.
0: Thank you, David. And as Culp of our firm, I'm delighted to hear you say that we're experts. <laughs> if you could mention that to our partner in charge of supervision of partners, that would be brilliant. Um, can I just, you, you very kindly already picked up on one of the questions that was submitted in advance in terms of measuring non-financial contributions. But can I put you on the spot a little bit just to pick up on the second uh, aspect of that question that was submitted in advance and and how, a firm can um, measure the the kind of the cross referral aspects of um, non financial contributions. Any nuggets of wisdom on on that particular aspect?
1: Yes, um, uh, lots of firms um, again are, are grappling with this, especially you know after the the real success of Heidi Gardner's book on um, on collaboration and its importance. Um, I think there's there's a really strong data set within most firms that already exists um and it's it's there it's just not off, that often reported on and this is the sort of function that gives you a a, a a report which talks about the export and import between different partners and different departments so what are the workflows like so at mm-hmm. a basic level you can look at where the work goes at the moment establish your baseline then work off a baseline that says okay this is what the norm is for our different areas we're going to run these collaborative initiatives let's see what impact that has on the degree of sharing between partners so the data is actually already there and it's pretty simple to report on Um, you just need to go again it's, it's another example of the data is there go and have a look for it and and it will tell you something you need to be careful, though, Corinne, with that, because there are different bits of the business that have different norms. So if you've got a strong corporate department, for example, they will routinely throw off work to other bits of the business. That is what one of my, um, uh, my clients calls uh, tossing work. You get work and you toss it to your, um, to your colleague, but it doesn't really do anything to open up a collaborative client relationship. So you've got to then get behind that data, take the time to do it and say, okay, this is the norm for a a transactional area that passes work to others, but this is really strong work that is going to open up deep and broad client relationships with the business. And then you have to get into looking for those other data points, looking at your client interaction um, databases Uh, expenses etc and all that data is there again you just got to have the will to mine it and do something with it.
0: Fantastic thanks very much for picking that question up. Um, We're gonna just try a a quick straw poll if we may um, just to check everybody's uh, still paying attention. Uh, Daniela um, if if you wouldn't mind flashing up the the straw poll please. Um, I would be really interested in understanding understanding what people who, who are participating this morning feel is actually given the most weight in practice at your firm um, I've tried to keep it simple here whether you, you think that at your firm's it's the financial side which is given the most weight whether it's non-financial side um, the capital investment as we're now calling it of course um, whether you genuinely feel that it is balanced at your firm or, or whether it, this is too simplistic and it's it's not a question that you feel you can answer this simplistically and I'd really welcome it if if people could um, let us know what what you feel the results are in in your firm. We'll just have a couple of moments on that. Um, And then three, two, one. Uh, Daniela, I wonder if you could let us know what people have come back with on that. So what we'll do is we'll just have a little think about our um, next topic Um, is that um, I'm gonna ask Rob to talk to us about why we're measuring partner contribution and how we align this with strategy and success and how we get partners to focus on strategic goals. I wonder, Daniela, if you're able to let us know, albeit that we may not have everybody's input. Let's see on that poll. Fantastic. Okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I I have to say, I suspected that financial KPIs might have been um, up there. So 55%, gosh, only 4% of the the non-financial KPIs, genuinely balanced, and um, it's complicated, 20, 20%. Brilliant. Well, that that's brilliant. Let's, um, let's pause there and, and, and go over to Rob, if we may, just to think about the strategic side of, of the importance of measuring partner contribution.
2: Thanks, Karine. OK, so if we're talking about strategy, we, we can't avoid talking about it within the context where we're living today, uh, which is COVID, of course, but more so the, uh, the underlying tensions that the, the, the crisis has surfaced. Uh, we, we seem to be living in the state of uh, this period, this era this, of deeply transformational, geographic, uh, geoeconomic, and social uh, political shift. It's, it's on a scale of the high inflation era of the 1970s or immediately after the Second World War, even the, first, the Second Industrial Revolution at the time of the uh, 19th to 20th century. So in, in, in the last few months, we've seen the, the change in the zeitgeist from sort of tooth-clacking disapproval of really fundamental issues like racism and misogyny and equi- inequality and sustainability to militantly widespread proactive opposition. Um, and we, we just read in the, in the Financial Times this morning that the 20th largest economies have spent five trillion dollars in the last couple of months. Uh, and the that's 7% of their gross national income and the and the and the spending is nowhere near over yet so i think it's naive to think that uh we're going to just move back to something like it was before um, afterwards and that strategy is going to be the same because we have to view all that against the disruptive effect of digital fourth industrial revolution and what clients what clients are likely to need from us uh, from their professional advisors over the next five years is uh, it, it's so much more complex than just the same as last year, uh, but cheaper, better, faster. It, it suggests that it's going to be radically different. Uh, so it's almost facile to say that we just need to change our the way we measure partner contribution against this. A lot of the measures that we used and a lot of the measures that we uh, the, 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 the way that we went about measuring is going to be the same, but I think there's a layer of complexity that needs to be added to that. Um, We need to really have a clear view of what uh, what needs to be done to drive firms forward uh, and align with these emerging new client needs and, and to deliver competitive advantage and adequate financial performance at a really fundamental level. So back to what is still going to stay the same. I mean, firms still need to have strategies. Uh, Yes, it needs to be balanced with agility and resilience, but it's so important to have a clear sense of direction and what the firm stands for. And firm-wide objectives that then cascade down to whatever business units the firm runs, usually some form of practice group, and then down to individual partners. This speaks to what I said earlier about each partner's measurements uh, or at least scorecard needing to be to a degree bespoke uh, but those metrics need to align closely between what you ex- with the behavior that you expect from that individual partner and what the firm firm strategic strategic intent is so that on the one hand you 've got that but on the other hand you 've also got the need for the firm to be able to pivot and, and be agile and evolve and all that so it, uh, there's specific behaviors that are required there too like picking up changes in clients in the market and contributing to sense making and developing new ways of doing things. And if you're measuring just financial metrics, then, then you're missing that because then people are actively disincentivized from, from contributing to these crucially important behaviors, uh, activities. And um, so one needs to work out a way of building that into uh, uh, the, the way that one measures. Uh, so, so that inevitably means some kind of balanced scorecard like Kaplan and Norton developed several decades again now, and, and it's, it's, it's not new. Uh, with, with your financial performance measures, balanced with uh, firm building, balanced with client measures uh, cli- uh, m- uh, and, and self-development measures. And uh, I, I just reiterate uh, David's uh, uh, warning not to just go down a menu and say, well, how are we going to t- t- tackle this and tackle that? Um, Some say the reason why the old, the Victorian Partnership Act limited the number of partners to 20 was because that was how many people you could get around a table and have an argument without raising your voice. And and we all almost need to be able to institutionalize that informality of agreeing. This is what we need to do to drive the firm forward. This is what we each going to do. And then being able to check that we all pull our weight without getting into terribly complex kinds of or, or metrics and, and and sometimes generic and nonsensical metrics even yes.
0: fantastic thank thank you rob um and uh, we 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 talked there about sort of the internal dynamic um david do do you think that um the internal politics are difficult because we've talked here about some of the financial KPIs and things like profitability um, is internal politics and can, can an FD really say, can call the shots, can, can the FD really be critical of partners given the, the, the political um, setup in a lot of professional services firms?
1: Yeah, I think this particularly plays out Corinne in relation to cost allocation. Um, Claire would probably say something about this later, but mm. um, in terms of cost allocation, Um, getting to a a gross profit figure um, for delivery of, you know, client service, et cetera, and client relationships proves more problematic than you might think within professional services and in law firms, because it is controversial as to uh, what costs go in there. Because once you've picked what costs go in which bucket, then that really influences how you see a practice. And as more firms are moving away from, or moving towards, let's say, using profitability measures in conjunction with revenue measures uh, as KPIs, then this becomes a really, really difficult uh, balancing act for your finance director because, you know, they, they want to apply these cost allocations um, because they know that makes sense from a business perspective. but. Uh, getting that past a group of partners who have very divergent, uh, you know, go back to Rob's uh, Olympic team analogy, they have very divergent practices, and and some metrics will 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 really skew against them or for them. So you, it's a difficult political dynamic. And the last thing I'd say on that is, uh, mentioned this earlier, it's also about elevating the importance of the input from other directors around the table, other professional experts. You know your marketing director, your HR director, your IT director is going to become massively more important in terms of um, uh, evaluating partner performance.
0: Thanks, David. I think there's no doubt in anyone's minds now, um, three months later, that the IT director has a really central role to law firms and other professional services firms. Um, can we think about the the financial side, Claire, um, a little bit more? Because the, the straw poll showed that 55% of people perceive financial KPIs to be um, driving uh, the measurement of partner contribution in professional firms. Um, perhaps you could just spend a few minutes talking to us about, about those sorts of uh, KPIs and, and how we link the firm performance to individual performance and encourage the right behaviours through those financial KPIs. And, and in practice, how do we, how do we measure this stuff?
3: Yeah, so I think I'd start off by saying that no one size fits all, um, and I, it's something that David has said earlier, and I think KPIs, to a very large extent, ought to be set by the partner who's going to be measured against them, uh, or at least, you know, in conjunction with that partner, so that it's, you're not imposing on somebody KPIs that are simply not achievable or not appropriate. I think what we see generally, and I know our audience today is mixed up of uh, very large firms and some much smaller firms, is there is a... Um, there is a, a basic problem, which is that some practice management systems give so much detail that you can't see the wood for the trees, while others hardly give any at all. So trying to measure financial the financial aspects of, of partner contribution can be very, very difficult. Um, as its most basic, I think if we concentrate on the ones where you're trying to measure profit rather than billing because everybody seems to fall back on billing because that's quite easy to, to measure, uh, but it doesn't give the true picture and what you really want to do is look at how profitable the work is that those, those individuals are doing, but measuring profit, as Rob and David have, have just said, is difficult because you don't know which bucket to put the overheads in. I think at it is most basic looking if you have a culture of honesty where you're putting time on the clock fairly, then you will get a picture of fair recovery rates. Now, I know that's not the same as profit, but it's a starting point. There are some firms out there who who dictate that you must recover, I don't know, 95% on all matters. Well, it's self-defeating because it means people just aren't honest about the time that they put on the clock. So I think a very, very basic starting point is to have a culture of openness and honesty so that you can really put down on the clock the time that you're spending on, on uh, individual matters. That at micro level gives you a... A fairness and give you a picture and it can translate to macro level where you're bringing in other factors such as shared resources and overheads sitting in on meetings with law firms where they talk about wanting to focus on uh, particular sectors um, they they know which sectors are profitable for them and they know that they're able to drill down beyond the fees into why those sectors are profitable. So I think the data is there. And David was making that point earlier. I think the data is there. It's just it's not easy to find and you really have to drill down to to get it. Um, I think there are, you know, billing is the thing that everybody falls back on. Chargeable hours is the other thing that everybody falls back on. And I, I have you know a fair amount of conversations with partners who are new to equity and they say to me you know i'm still expected to do 1200 hours or 1100 hours or whatever and sometimes more Uh, you know i don't think i can do that And and i think well really at that level that shouldn't be the focus you know the focus is on how efficiently you can produce the work and actually are you delegating enough so harking back to what david said a little bit earlier the kpis that I think all firms should be able to establish some of them will come out of your practice management systems and some of them, you'll have to actually, um, you know, build something yourself. Uh, there are probably five basic ones there, there's billing but, but with billing crucially is payment tracking monthly billing the increase year on year what you're looking for is longevity from that particular market perhaps looking at billing as a multiple of profit share because it's surprising how many firms don't actually link that back to the to the profit share of of particular partners Uh, but looking crucially at the cash that those partners are bringing in from their clients on a monthly basis which is even more important now than than ever before looking at new wins even if they're not yet converted to bills but looking at the number of you know files opened then profit is is really the one that you really that you want to concentrate on if you can but I do understand that it's simply not possible with some information that the practice management systems produce but I think if there's an element of sub-team segmentation that might make it more possible if not then I think as I was saying before going back to recovery rates and having that culture of openness recording time fairly uh, translating that to a macro level and bringing in overheads if you can on a, on a reasonably consistent basis And then there are three other points which um, David has mentioned earlier that there are a lot of uh, measurements that are not strictly, you wouldn't think of as strictly financial, but they do have a financial impact, but the financial impact may not come in for a, a year or so. But things like client satisfaction, I mean, we can all, you can generally judge how satisfied a client is by how quickly they'll pay your bill. So how quickly are your partners managing to get their clients to pay their bills? is there a lot of recurring work coming through? Uh, You know, a CRM system helps enormously to track that, but if not, then you have to come up with some other way of tracking it, I'm afraid. But client surveys, and even something as as, um, inconsequential, if that's the word, as uh, people attending your parties and things, not that we're having any at the moment, but you know, clients who actually turn up to things that you're doing seminars that you're putting on parties that you're doing it all speaks highly of the partners who must have a very strong relationship with those firms for them to you know to turn up to them and that leads in turn to referrals more work uh, I think partner contribution to the firm's culture is is hugely important. And I know you know the lawyers know more about this um, and how this factors into the work that they do. But you know, looking at 360 appraisals and peer reviews and, and looking at what non-chargeable time partners are spending their time on. We focus so much on how much chargeable time and what are people doing with that, but what are they spending their non-chargeable time on? Is there a lot of interaction with other teams? Do they have a management role? Are they marketing? If they're marketing, are they marketing successfully? Uh, I have conversations with some of my colleagues who say, well, you know, such and such a partner, you know, they're at the pub again. Well, yes, there are certain of my partners who seem to spend an inordinate amount of time at the pub, but they come back with clients because that's how they how they get them. So that is, I think, how they should be part of their, how they're measured. Uh, and the, the final point, I think, of, of, Five of them is quality. I think quality is often forgotten, and quality leading to reputation. Partners must be measured on this. It's not strictly financial, but it sort of is because on the non-financial side of things, there's external reviews and, and you know making sure that each partner is holding up the reputation of the firm. But it can also help track referrals. If you're if you're doing if you're providing a client with a quality service, you're going to get referrals out of it. And there is a cost of underperformance, which can to a certain extent be tracked, and maybe this goes back to the CULP, by claims and disputes. And I think that ought to be one of the measures as well. So I think, you know, to bring all this together, I think partners should set their own financial KPIs. Well, they should set non-financial KPIs as well, or at least be involved in the process. I think the decision-making should be by committee and should be as transparent as possible. In bigger firms, it's less easy to be transparent because it's, you know, it's run more like a corporate. But the more transparent you can be, the better it is. And um, you know, giving equal weight to what really matters to the firm from a values point of view um, it might not be strictly financial, but I think it's, it's as important. And it will get away from that 55% that we've just seen where it seems to be focused strictly on financial.
0: Thank you, Claire. And um, thank you also for picking up on, on some of those points that was ra- were raised in advance uh, around um, the practice management systems and, and pursuing accuracy above all. Um, if, if those people that submitted the questions don't feel that Claire's comments covered their questions as, as fully as they wanted to, then please do feel free to use the chat function if, to, to, to pick that up. Um, I'd, I'd like, to, if, if I may now, to move on slightly into a slightly different area. Um, we're seeing in, in the news and in professional services, a huge focus on on diversity and ensuring that um, firms are um, diverse and, and really making the most of the benefits that full diversity brings. Um, and I wondered, Sarah, if you wouldn't mind just talking for a moment about whether there are sort of any particular KPIs or the sort of the focus on specific KPIs which disadvantage any particular groups and that might actually might be contributing to the lack of diversity within professional services firms Um, and I wondered whether you had any any thoughts on that. If
4: I think diversity is important for two reasons one touched on uh, by you Corinne is the fact that it's important because people assess us on our diversity and I think increasingly clients will be looking at our diversity makeup and make judgments about our firms and our cultures based on that but I think the other reason is that there's also a legal risk in diversity in that often the same factors that may contribute to lack of diversity at a partnership or a particular level of a partnership may also be indirectly discriminatory in the sense that they may be preventing people from being promoted or um, influencing somebody's pay, for example, uh, which may in fact be indirect discrimination. Pausing for a second there just to explain what that means, a lot of you will know, because you've probably heard me speak about it before, but indirect discrimination would be the concept that you apply a KPI to everybody, therefore you might think you're applying it fairly across the board, but that KPI would have a disproportionate impact on people who share a particular protected characteristic, so that may be that it has a disproportionate impact on women or on disabled partners, or on, on an older partners or younger partners. So uh, it may look fair on the face of it. Now you can justify that type of discrimination, but you would need to demonstrate that you were effectively pursuing a legitimate aim, so the legitimate business aim, and that you were doing it in the least discriminatory way possible. So you do have to think about it. Um, and I'd say in, in our experience, most um, KPIs that cause potential risk really relate to potential indirect discrimination and um, lack of diversity in respect of women and it will be no surprise about what I'm probably going to say here which is you know often a lot of KPIs which might measure um, bringing in new work but expecting partners to do that by attending events or going abroad to conferences or um, speaking at things in the evening or early in the morning and may have a disproportionate impact on those people who um, carry out the majority of the childcare um, responsibilities at home Um, and now we're obviously um, all in this kind of long long process whereby we are trying as a culture and society and profession to shift that um, perception and burden so that it's more equal but the reality is it's still not equal um, and women do statistically still do more of the child care burden and are still less able to attend certain business development functions and participate in business development in quite the same traditional way that uh, male law firm partners 30 years ago were able to spend their Saturday on the golf course or you know spend their evenings out for dinner with clients. And so it's still a real problem in the professional services sector, I think. Um, And I think, therefore, when setting KPIs, I think people need to be cautious to think through, well, what is it we want to achieve at the end? And then bespoke how that person is able to get there so that they take account of that person's individual um, limitations or issues or Uh, other commitments um, that may all be legitimate um, and ensure therefore that those people who perhaps can't dedicate the same time to in-person business development events are allowed to pursue the business development activities in a different way. Um, And the same applies to sort of older partners, younger partners, you know you can look at any of these um, factors and and apply them to different protected characteristics. Uh, You might have the same issue with Um, A partner who's on long-term absence and isn't able to contribute in certain ways, but might in fact be able to contribute in other ways. Um, So I think it's really important to think through those KPIs and think about how they impact adversely part-time workers, women, um, absent uh, workers, people who are less able um, physically or otherwise to contribute in certain ways.
0: Thank you, Sarah. Um, I'm a little conscious of time, um, so I think it would be really useful if Zulon, we we just um, hear from you on a moment for a moment on on things around process and and, and practicalities. I mean, how do you how do you use the constitutional framework and, and the and the, the kind of the, the heart and soul of the governance of the firm to really embed that those those KPIs and and encourage the right sort of contribution from partners.
5: I think when you're thinking about how to embed the whole um, partner contribution appraisal process into your constitution, you probably need to think about four key questions that you need to ask yourself. Firstly, do you need to retain some flexibility? Um, second question would be who evaluates and how do they evaluate partner contribution? And the third one would be who ultimately makes the decision re- regarding partner reward? And the last question would be, what what should be the potential consequences of consistent underperformance? Once you've asked yourself those questions and you figure out the answers, then you can kind of embed that in your your constitution. So on the first point about flexibility, the answer to that, whether you need to retain flexibility, is more likely to be yes than no. And primarily because um, of the reasons that Rob mentioned earlier, around KPIs, for example, being linked to the firm strategy, and the firm strategy is likely to evolve over time. We'll need to be agile and pivot to market conditions. Um, the pandemic, the current pandemic being a case in point, there's lots of firms that are reassessing their strategies um, uh, from pre-pandemic times to what's going to happen afterwards. And obviously the KPIs will need to uh, align with that strategy. So it's key that, that you retain some flexibility in your constitution to, to change your partner KPIs and your process as and when needed. Um, the, the kind of good way I see that happening quite often is not high, not by not hardwiring it um, completely in your LLP or partnership agreement. So whilst your partnership agreement might put in might include signposts as to how the process will work and what things, who makes the decisions etc and what things they need to take into account, the actual, the nitty-gritty of the the KPIs and process are better kept in in other documents like a partner handbook or a a policy which can be amended without a partner vote. So um, quite often you see the management board um, or, or or a governance board having the ability to do that. Um, In terms of who evaluates partner contribution, uh, again this kind of links in with with the size of your firm and also the overall governance structure of that firm. You often see it certainly in medium size and larger firms um, having in place a separate RemCom. Um, If you do have that you need to think about how are people appointed to the RemCom. Um, Quite often um, you'll have an element of elected members And that can be quite key to, again, the point that I made at the beginning about engendering trust and confidence. So if if the general partners can um, know that they have their chosen people in the REMCOM, they'll they'll have some confidence that uh, decisions around contribution and reward will be uh, assessed fairly and independently of the executive management. Um, You also need to think about what the terms of reference are for that committee and what what information they should be taking into account when making the decisions around contribution. Um, So that could be the financial information, 360 appraisals, uh, client client feedback, all of those kind of things that Rob and David have spoken about. Um, And then thinking about who ultimately make the decisions around uh, reward. Sometimes that can be the remcom or sometimes it can be a recommendation by Remcom to the board or the governance committee, um, so you need, you need to think about that again within the kind of the overall governance structure of your firm um, and then the last thing is what uh, you, you, you really do need to think about um, what should be the consequences of persistent underfall performance because there's no point in having this uh, amazing processing your constitution about uh, assessing contribution and then figuring out the reward unless you can actually um, deal with underperformance if, if that should arise um, so that could be uh, You know thinking about whether uh, If you're in a lockstep system, whether people can be moved down the lockstep um, If they can lose points or even be de and ultimately, you know, if performance is really bad whether they can be removed uh, you won't be able to do any of those things unless you have the, the tools within your LLP or partnership agreement
0: allowing you to do that. Thank you, Zulon. And, and there's, there's a lot of people um, who've joined us this morning who are um, from smaller professional services firms and with with smaller partner cohorts um, I think that a number of them might think well you know a, a Remcom and, and that sort of complicated governance mechanic would work well for a firm with 200 partners around the globe but we have 15 um, and we're soon going to find that the same people are on the management board the Remcom the you know the appeal committee How how would you um very briefly um simplify that if you will and and, and consolidate it down so that it's you, you you get all of those benefits but within a smaller firm um framework
5: yeah it, you know there is no size fits all in terms of governance and um who decides around contribution etc it really does depend on each individual firm sometimes with still smaller firms you simply have a par- um, partnership uh a partnership decision around reward as to who gets what. Um, if you have a, you know, it also depends on your, uh, it depends on the actual remuneration system that you run. If it's if it's a pure lockstep and uh, you know your reward purely depends on, um, you know, how long you've been at the firm, then that makes it simpler. But as as uh, I think, Corinne, you said earlier. At the beginning, you still need to appraise performance. Um, so that can be, you know, as I said, it really depends on the culture of the firm, how, you know, the size, uh, the overall governance. Um, and there are lots of ways to kind of divide the, divide the cake, to, to say, you know, uh, to use a phrase when it comes to governance and um, deciding how to assess
0: contribution. Thank you, Zulam. Um, I'd like, um, as we've got just a a few minutes left, five minutes left of the session, just to pause here again, and and Daniela, if if we may, I'd like just to try another little poll. We've heard quite a lot from the panel today um, on what uh, might be good ways of measuring contribution, so I'd be really interested to hear from you all on whether you feel that your firm um, needs to change the way it measures partner contribution, now that you've heard from the experts on what what they think best practice look like. If um, I could ask you all to, to submit your votes that would be fantastic. Thank you. Um, and, and while people are casting their votes, um, I, I would like just in the last couple of minutes, we can't possibly um, have a webinar um, hosted from my shed in the garden during lockdown um, without focusing on the COVID crisis and, and of course the global recession that's that we're all experiencing now. Um, And I wondered if I could ask each of you just to spend a few moments um, just looking at how um, this crisis um, could change or should change the way that partner contribution is measured. So let me leave you just a moment to think about that. And and Daniela, I wonder if you could let us see. Thank you very much. Gosh, nearly 60% of people feel that it should change. and then split almost evenly between no and uh, not sure. Um, thank you very much uh, for uh, sharing those thoughts with us. So uh, let me um, pass on then. Claire, perhaps you could kick us off with, um, will the COVID crisis and the recession change the way that partner contribution is measured? Uh,
3: yes, I think I think it will change anyway, regardless of COVID, because I think what we've been talking about is bringing in some of the not quite so... Um, financial strictly financial measures um but what i would say is what covid really has done is um made firms concentrate on cash and i know it's something that i bring up every time but I, i do think and i i hardly ever see this with firms when they're measuring partner contribution i think looking at how quickly those partners clients bring in the cash is going to be even more important rob
2: and just two points very quickly. Uh, the first is, uh, this year, I- I'm sure nobody noticed, but uh, Reginald Heber-Smith, a-, a century ago, invented the infamous timesheet. I-, I haven't heard of any gala dinners being planned. Uh, but I think the first thing that-, that firms absolutely should do is stop measuring that billable hour, and at least measure revenues instead, and better still measure profit rather than revenues in, in its granular, uh, at a- as granular level as possible. Uh, so that's the first thing, and the second thing is there's just too much with all the things that are going on uh, for uh, partner behaviour to be centrally controlled and centrally managed. I've always been a great believer in in, in personal business plans, partner business plans, and I think that uh, we get to see them even more prevalent now uh, because that just drives the responsibility down. Then the performance then becomes to what degree did you. Uh, say you were going to do what you said you were going to do, and how successful has that been? And it's particularly important given how many of these metrics are essentially qualitative, not quantitative in measure. Thank you, Rob. Uh, Zulon?
5: Hi. Um, I, think, um, we, I think we need to take a deep dive into how to assess the softer side of um, KPIs that have been mentioned by um, Claire and Rob and the rest of the speakers. Uh, it, it becomes even more important when we think about how do we um, assess things like leadership and um, culture and um, you know supervision of staff, etc. When we're all sitting in our sheds, Karen, um, how how do we do that when we're not under the same roof? I think firms. We, I think hopefully firms will take this as an opportunity to reassess how they, how they actually measure people on, those, on that kind of thing. And that will hopefully be a more, create a more level playing field for people, especially people who work part time um, and work from home uh, under normal conditions, not just under COVID.
0: Thank you. Uh, David?
1: Yeah, very quickly. So integrate your financial KPIs with those areas of contribution. Do not treat them as something separate because they only arise, they are only outputs from the actions that your partners take. So look at those five, six or seven areas of contribution and hypothecate the financial KPIs to them and hypothecate your other KPIs to them as well in those and we're not calling them Zulon, we're not calling them soft areas, we're not calling them non chargeable anymore. Sorry to disagree, you know pull you up on this panel members, it's investment in firm capital. So rebrand.
0: It did. T- 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 telling off received, thank you. Um, and, and finally, uh, Sarah?
4: I'm glad I got in there after David because he can't tell me off anymore of what I'd like to say. <laughs> Um, I think I would say um, be flexible. So kind of picking up on one of Zulon's points, you know, have the structure to be flexible, but also be prepared to be flexible because we will have to measure contribution for the time that we're in right now. And how that looks will be very different to how it might have looked before and also how it might look after. And it might look different after to how it even looked before. We might not go back to what we thought was normal. And, and I think as well in doing that, be kind of conscious of making assumptions about COVID and about working from home, um, I think there's been a lot of assumptions that, oh, now, now everything's leveled out because now people that always work from home are in the same position as everyone else. So, you know, they, they are just as capable of performing. Well, they might have been working from home for different reasons. And there's still anecdotal data that tells us that women are looking after more children at home, even when both people are at home. And so I don't think all those issues that people thought about before have just gone away because we're all at home. So I think there's a risk that firms will make assumptions that are not, in fact, correct. But also they're going to have to then be flexible when we start going back to the office if for those of us who are um to, to adapt again and so I think they need that flexibility both in their systems but also in their
0: approach as we go through the next
4: 12 to 18 months.
0: Thank you. Great. Well we're at time. Um, we haven't had any um additional questions on the chat function. So all that's left for me is to thank first of all everybody for dialing in this morning, but um mainly to thank the, the panel for their fantastic insights and their their really useful thoughts this morning. Um, thank you all. Goodbye.